Christians are a peculiar people. To the world around us, we often appear as strange or weird, like we really don't fit in. The phrase the Apostle Peter used to describe us was elect exiles. The idea is that even though we are chosen and precious to God, in a world that's corrupted by sin, we will feel like strangers or sojourners. As the song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. So Christians are called to live like foreigners and exiles while still pursuing relationships with the people around us who are not like us. And Peter's first letter is written to help saints, young and old, to figure out how to do that, how to live in the world while not becoming like the world, while also seeking to win the world back to God. The following episode is one of nine where we dove into this letter with fellow saints and seekers here in Brooklyn to try and figure out how do we share the gospel with our neighbors around us when the gospel feels like it's mostly unwelcome. Hope you benefit from listening. Peace and love, everybody. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter 3. We're going to pick it up near the end of 1 Peter 3 and do in the end of 1 Peter 3, first part of 1 Peter 4 is the plan for tonight. But Tony, would you mind praying for us before we get going here? Sure. Most holy God in heaven, we come before you now, Father, in prayer, um, just asking for you to send your spirit to be with us tonight in tonight's Bible study, Lord, that it will be encouraging and edifying for all of us, building us up in your word, Father, that um, you'll prepare our hearts and our minds to, to receive the message from you, Lord, to, to um, interpret it correctly, Lord, and be able to apply it appropriately in our lives, Father, that we could shine for you um, as your disciples in this world, Lord. Uh, again, Father, we want to thank you so much for for the this kind of a format. Though the world is, is shut down and people are encouraged to stay apart from each other, Lord, we through technology we have a way to still meet um, and and have these kind of things, Lord. And again, we also thank you for providing your word for us so full, Lord, that we can receive one through through delivery or through bookstores or whatever way we can get one, Father. We have your word so readily available to us, Lord. We love you so much and we thank you for all you do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We wrapped up our last discussion in 1 Peter 3 around verse 15. I think we got actually through verse 17, but uh, verse 15 is really special because it's a verse where Peter ties together a couple of major themes throughout the letter. Uh, one being that our lives should be different such that it raises questions, right? And 1 Peter 3.15 talks about that, that people might want to slander us or shame us or say, what's wrong with you? Why are you so strange? Uh, because our lifestyle is so radically different. It also ties together, though, we, uh, our response to that is not to hide or to withdraw or to conform. Our response is to tell people why. And uh, he did, the way he describes it is we should be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us, which going all the way at the beginning of this letter, the hope is the resurrection. So whenever people are like, man, what's wrong with you people? Why do you all have these standards that you follow? Why do you behave this way or that way? Our response is, well, because Jesus is risen from the dead and he's going to raise us from the dead. And we want to be ready for when that happens. That's what it's all about. Uh, so we're going to pick up in verse 17 and uh, we're, we're uh, the totality of our readings will be 317 through 46. We're going to break that up into two sections. We'll read 317 through the end of chapter three, and then we'll read chapter four verses one through six after we had done some of this first part. So we'll do like we've, uh, we've done. I'm just going to read it and then open it up. And I'd like you to, I don't know. What do you see that's interesting? What's compelling you? What's maybe strange? What's interesting? Whatever. Just kind of, we'll do a free-for-all observational 
uh, time after we read the text, and then we'll kind of dig into some of the specific components. All right, First Peter 3, starting in verse 17. He says, It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. All right, let's pause there. What do you guys find interesting, compelling, intriguing, perhaps strange? Um, what do you notice here in this, in this text here at the end of chapter three? Mike and Candace. I think you, you, you mentioned this last week, but just the idea that it might be God's will for us to suffer. That's the first thing that jumped out at me. Yeah, I love that idea, but it's important for us to remember. Yeah, yeah that's right. Good. Oh, I think, um, I think I also wrote down here um, that the purpose of suffering would be to bring others, bring others to God. I think verse 18 here where it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So Christ suffered to bring us to God. And in my head, I guess I was thinking, okay, when we suffer, you know, I guess it's an opportunity to bring us closer to God. And in the process, we can also bring others to God as well. Love that. And so, right. And Peter said a similar thing earlier. You remember there's kind of a parallel text, chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you've been called since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you would follow in his steps. And then when you go down to verse uh, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. And so that's just another one exactly along the lines of what you're saying there, Candace. Um, chapter 3 and verse 9, we talked about how we were called not only to suffer, but to be able to impart blessing. And so this is a big theme for Peter. Hey, yeah, when you do good, you may suffer, but your doing good and suffering may lead to goodness for someone else. What else do you guys like here in, um, in the end of chapter three? What was interesting to you stands up? By the way, you don't have to be able to interpret it or explain it. Could it be something that jumps out at you that you notice in uh, what's said here in verses 17 to 22? I like the clarification that baptism is not the removal of the flesh. Okay, good. Hey, can somebody give me a thumbs up? Could everybody hear uh, Damo's comment there? No, it's fine. Like sort of-ish, yeah, kind of-ish. Yeah. Um, I'm going to repeat it. Yeah, everybody, everybody in here speak loud, but that's okay. Um, Ron says no. Uh, so <laughs> there's the answer. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but Damo, I'll just reiterate what, what she said, that um, this is a helpful thing that it helps us clarify what baptism is by clarifying what it is not. It's not uh, a removing filth from your flesh. It's not some sort of physical thing that's going on here. Uh, it's something different than that. Good. What else do you guys notice? What else do you see here in uh, in the text? I thought it was interesting how, I mean, I always think this part is interesting where he, uh, last time we studied it, where um, 
talks about the, uh, you know, the event of Noah and the flood as baptism, and then talks about baptism not being removal of dirt, and then goes into um, that it's uh, an appeal to God for good conscience through the res resurrection of Jesus Christ. It seemed, it's, it's felt a little awkward for me to like connect kind of like those three yep for some reason no it is awkward i, th I think yeah. we're gonna be able to work on it a little bit maybe put some stuff together yeah, yeah. but i think it's a great point i'll just make sure in case somebody didn't hear what brian said you've got the baptism discussion you've got noah you've got jesus resurrection you've got our baptism how do all those three kind of go together yeah. but that there's something there there's something there that right. peter's doing so uh mike or candace yeah ben following along um what brian just said i, I also was thinking of verse 20 where it mentions noah Mm -hmm. And the fact that he brings that up kind of crystallizes our position. We're in this world. This world is all types of sin and iniquities going on here. The, the enemy's running rampant. Yet we are protected by the Holy Spirit. We're covered by the blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. That is our proverbial ark, which is um, bringing us to salvation. And God is, you know, biding his time until more can enter into it. So just the imagery of the arc in this context is what jumped out at me. That's awesome. Really cool. <laughs> Love you said that, Mike. And, and by the way, this is a theme throughout First Peter. The idea, y'all remember, we're going to come back to this more later, I think. Noah was the only righteous one in the whole world. Well, sometimes when you're a Christian out here living in exile, as Peter's taught, even though you're in elect exile, it can sometimes feel like you're the only one at your job, in your family, whatever, in society. Um, well, we're not the first ones that it's been like that. Matter of fact, it was way worse in the days of Noah than any of us have ever experienced, so far at least. So uh, this, is a, this is a really inspiring and important story for us. Ruth, what you got? I think the idea of um, that Peter is trying to um, drive home, not just about the suffering of Christ, but the, the idea of a hope that we're looking forward to. He ends um, where Christ is actually, after all he's done, where he's at, he's at the right hands of the Father, still ruling. So we have a king in our spring. So it's something I guess we should always focus, not lose focus due to our suffering. Great point. Really important point. That comes back to verse 15, right? Uh, so hard, like people are rejecting me. They're shaming me for my faith. Well, hey, look, like don't forget the hope that's within you. Be ready to express that to others also. Go through the suffering, do good in your suffering and look forward to the victory that Christ has um, and he's secured. That's really good. Other observations, interesting thing you guys want to point out from uh, verses 17 to 22. What else is jumping out at you? What else stands out? Interesting, strange, compelling, encouraging, whatever. I guess for me, uh, what's interesting, um, I don't know necessarily how to uh, inter I guess I have an idea, but like in verse 22, sorry, um, not 22, um, where it talks about um, Christ, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited, waited patiently in the days of Noah uh, while the ark was being built. I guess for me, that's interesting uh, how to uh, put those together of like, you know, Christ's death. So uh, yeah, so I guess that's what I find interesting. Hello. What's going on with that? That's, yeah. uh, I think that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to uh, deep dive that one here in just a second, too. No, that's right. There's, and, and I think what we can say, at least at the outset, before we try to piece together maybe what exactly he's saying here in a few minutes, 
the death of Christ and our own suffering are a part of a much bigger, more epic cosmic story that's, uh, that's unfolding and where God is working against real forces of evil uh, that Christ has defeated and that we're in some way uh, still warring against now. So we at least know that, I think, from this text. How that puts together, we'll work on that and talk about it a little bit more. Sweet. What else? Impressions, lessons learned, um, observations in the text, whatever else you guys want to point out here or say. And I think uh, when we were studying, I'm not sure if it was this, but also Revelation, we talked about how the image of Jesus going to the, uh, the spirits in prison to proclaim, um, you know, that he had overcome death, basically to let them know even you know, what they had done. They, they, didn't, they didn't win or they were in prison because of him was also uh, part of the idea of justice, like um, God's people seeing justice uh, in Revelation. We sure. talked about it, and like we're sure. reading it, seeing that, you know, we were talking about why did Jesus have to go and do that. Um, and I think some of the discussion was about like God's people seeing justice uh, and not uh, reveling in it, but just having a satisfaction of seeing that. Like you're just saying, we know, you know, we know that. Uh, Absolutely. And and this is a passage, this is about passage about justice. That's one of the things about suffering as an exile is you're like, why isn't God coming through? What's going on here? And part of what Peter's reminding us though is, hey, remember Jesus, he was righteous and he died for the unrighteous, but God justified him. God raised him up. God proved him to be victorious and you will be too. Whatever you're going through, uh, if you're going through it for the Lord, you're going to end up be proven, being proven right by the end. And I like the connection to the book of Revelation. That's very true. That's huge there. Awesome. Other observations, thoughts, questions, <laughs> comments, uh, whatever else. Um, I like that it says in verse 22 that um, angels and even those with authorities are subject to Christ showing like his level of power. Absolutely. And that comes back to this thing. I and mean, we keep on bringing it up week to week, but it's so important. Jesus portrays this suffering, you know, submissive character. Remember the past few weeks, we've been talking a lot about the submission and the submission of Christ. And that's right. But here Peter says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And through that submission, he attained ultimate sovereignty over all things. So don't, don't be discouraged as you're going through your life of submission and suffering. Know where God's going to take it. Back to um, Ruth's point earlier about hope that we have and how crucial that is, even through the, the struggles we go through now. I have a question, Ben. Go. Uh, looking at verse 18, I'm, it's a little confusing for me. I'm trying to make sense of what it means when it says, for Christ also suffered once sins does it mean is it meaning that he only suffered at that one time on the cross are they trying to say in a broader spectrum that throughout his ministry he suffered you know that's a great question eric i don't know if i've quite thought about that um there uh, i'm I'm gonna reword the question make sure i'm understanding tell me if i'm getting what you're saying and anybody jump in on this you're asking was it uh he only suffered one time in his death on the cross or is it talking about the one like the whole time of his life on earth including his death and all that is that what you're asking like what's the once yeah, in other words yeah because because like I, as i'm looking at it like when 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 we look at 17 it says for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be god's will than for doing evil and 
I would, I would guess that it means that we're going to suffer throughout our lives. Um, and Christ suffered as we did. Mm-hmm. But when it, what, what throws me off is how it says suffered once for sins. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to understand if it means that he suffered throughout his, if they're trying to uh, convey that throughout his ministry he suffered, or just are they talking about just on the cross? Because I, I do know that, I mean, I do remember that throughout his ministry he did he did encounter many times where people just um didn't believe him uh confronted him questioned him doubted him insulted him so i'm trying to make the distinction if it means throughout his ministry throughout his when he was preaching the gospel or it was is it saying once for his uh once for sins on the cross yeah that's a cool question i think what i would say to that is that the once would refer to his whole life from his birth all the way to his death. Um, that's my initial thought. Someone may want to correct me. Part of the reason I would say that is the book of Hebrews, there's a couple of references that are kind of similar. So in Hebrews chapter five, uh, in verse seven, Hebrews five and verse seven says in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Well, like Jesus offered up prayers and supplications more than just on the cross. It included the cross, but it was more than just that. Also, but then in uh, Hebrews 7, it says in verse uh, 27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Well, there's a real sense in which he offered up himself through his whole ministry. So I think that's the way I would lean, but I'm, I could very much be persuaded if someone else has another, uh, a better understanding on that. I think I saw Mike and Candace go off and then Caleb. So Mike and Candace, you want to jump in with, uh, with your, your response to that? Yeah, I was just going to read my trusty uh, children's Bible here. It says, Christ himself died for us and that one death paid for your sins. He was not guilty, but he died for those who are guilty. He did this to bring you all to God. So I guess they took it as the ones was that, that the one that paid for your sins. Sure, sure. Yeah, Caleb. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm a little puzzled too, Eric, why he says it that way once for all here. Um, that the, the word that he uses is, is often traded once for all has been pointed out. Um, but I was going to say like the whole, I don't think, I don't think we should try to narrowly define this as just the cross. Right. Um, Jesus' whole life was the cross. And if you go back to chapter two, when it talks about um, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. It's, it's clear that Peter has in mind throughout this letter that there's much to be learned about how to suffer well from all of Jesus' life, not just from that one moment on the cross. Um. I think from just the, the verses around it, it kind of answers that in terms of him saying how he reconciled. Um, yeah, I think we, we can see God's crisis life as an example, but I think it's talking about Christ's atonement right here because, um, yeah, I don't know. I could be wrong. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. So I think actually Eric's question is probably a good launching point for us that we kind of just noted some observations for us to like dig in on a couple of things that already got mentioned as far as some, some questions here. For sure, uh, to Ruth's point, whether we see the whole life of Christ as his sacrifice of atonement or just his death on the cross specifically, whichever way you want to look at that, 
for sure the point is, hey, look at the suffering of Jesus and what it accomplished for all of us. The, the righteous one took the place of all the unrighteous ones once for all people, at one, one time for all time, for all people. Uh, he took on that, that debt and paid it in the cross so that we could be set free from sin. Uh, but notice the real goal in verse 18, that he might bring us to God. That was what it was all about, to restore relationship between us and God. And the way he did that was by being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Uh, in what way was Jesus made alive in the spirit? Somewhere to ask you, hey, what does it mean Jesus was made alive in the spirit? What's that all about? Would that be the Holy Spirit, like we were talking about today? Yeah. And also just the idea of, you know, God giving Christ the power through spirit to, you know, to overcome his fleshly death. And when he does come back, it is in spirit, even though he's in human. Well, I don't know. Sure that when he comes back is that he's in human form. He's, they do touch him. That's right. So, but I don't know if he's considered spirit when he comes back. But it just made me think of the Holy Spirit that you were talking about um, today as being uh, God's spirit, you know? Yeah, no, I, th I think, it, I think he's somewhat, you know, I, I don't know why we wouldn't say God's spirit here, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so basically what you're proposing is maybe the idea is we're talking about the resurrection, like God raised him up by the spirit. Yeah. Is that right? Um, yeah, and just, yeah, I guess I was kind of just like shooting from, you know, just what you said today, just to relate it. Like mm -hmm. my first reaction was because I uh, meditated on the, a lot on the idea of um, us having the power that Jesus had to overcome uh, flesh. And that's what you know, we can overcome sin and be set free. Sure. Um, that's what he gave to us and that we actually have that. And um, so the spirit being that successful uh, win over the flesh. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and the way Jesus proved that was through his resurrection. I mean, I think Brian's on to something here. Romans chapter one says Jesus was raised up by the spirit. Romans chapter eight goes on to say the same spirit that gave Jesus life gives life to your mortal bodies. And so I think, I think that's probably the idea. Someone else may have another take on this, by the way, and that's perfectly fine. But that's the one I tend to think is that it probably is talking about the resurrection, that he was put, he was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit. Anybody have another take on, on that, uh, that phrase in verse 18 or another thought or a question, follow up, anything like that? Well, now this is where the fun begins is in verse 19, because then he, he, uh, he backs up from the life of Jesus, um, or at least the, the life of Jesus on earth to way, way before in which, in which, speaking about the spirit, in which or in whom, your, some of your translations may say, uh, Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits who were in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Let's stop right there. All right, what does it say that Jesus in the spirit, um, may I say, who did Jesus interact with in the spirit, according to this passage? Brittany, what you got? The spirits in prison. All right. So what's that all about? I have no idea. All right. That's I've cool. I've never read this this carefully. All right. That's, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Way to be brave and give the answer because you knew the follow-up was coming too. So anybody else, uh, anybody else want to jump in here with uh, what, what's going on with these uh, spirits in prison and all that stuff? <laughs> he, he, he 
says that these were the spirits who refused to obey God during the time of Noah. I mean, you ask which spirits, <laughs> those were the that spirits. That's the correct answer. That's the correct answer right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's that? It doesn't about? mean that I mean it. Going. Let's keep going, man. We're just going down these. So uh, we're, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to do this piece by piece, like Brittany started. Oh, I gave the next. We are indeed Someone. very good. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, good. Anybody got anything else to say about who, who we're talking about here? Spirits who are in prison who were disobedient in the days of Noah. Are we talking about all about um, other than human spirits of the human beings, uh, spirits in high places or spirits that might have been uh, literally evil spirits? This is a good question. As opposed to human spirits. I believe, I think so. There are two options here. One option, is you, you kind of presented them both. Yeah. Anybody wants to jump in here, feel free. But one option is this time out, human beings who in the days of Noah were exceptionally disobedient, which is possible. Uh, the, the kind of strange thing would be, if that's what Peter's saying, there were disobedient spirits before Noah, and there have been disobedient spirits after Noah. So it may be a little bit strange that he keys in on, Jesus went and preached to these spirits in particular as opposed to others. So Brian presented another option that maybe these spirits he's talking about are actually like spiritual beings. In other words, not just human beings, but um, beings from the spirit realm. And now everybody's ready to get to jump in here. So let's go. I think Brittany and then Ruth and then Latoya. Go ahead, Brittany. One, one question that I have is um, if, if you say everyone after Noah is presumably under the Noah covenant in anyone before that time, between the fall and Noah is essentially under some other basically post Eden pre Noah covenant setting, then do they, do they merit some kind of outreach by Christ after death that is not extended to people after God specifically covenants with Noah and his descendants? I, that's a question, not thought. No, I like that, Adam. And, and I'm going to, make sure I understand your question, basically being maybe one possibility is that people between Adam and Noah, that there were human spirits who had been disobedient, but they just didn't know much. They didn't know enough. And so Christ went to uh, redeem those people, in other words, to, to preach the gospel to them, to try to restore them or bring them back. And that's, that's one possibility. Is that, is that, and I know you're not suggesting that, but you're asking that. Is that about right, Adam? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's put a pin in that. By the way, that that um, part of what that question entails is, oh, should we assume that the preaching Jesus did here was redemptive? In other words, like he preached in order to bring people somewhere to save them, to change them or whatever. I want to come back to that in a second. Ruth, what you got? I kind of actually lean towards what Brian says, because um, it does kind of give you this, if it's, if it's about humans, I think there's been disobedient people since the fall. So, um, I think right here, due to the last verse of, um, in this section, that I'm leaning towards the fallen angels for some, for some reason. I guess it's kind of Im this imagery that like Christ is not necessarily preaching the gospel, but pro proclaiming his um, victory to the ones that were there from the beginnings. So, uh, can you talk about what about what about that last verse is speaking to you, Ruth? What what are you seeing in the last verse? You you mentioned that as kind of, so basically you're basically saying what this text leads you to think is that the spirits are spiritual beings who have rebelled against God, who have uh, fallen from grace with God, and they they were being punished, and that Jesus went to proclaim, hey, 
God was right. Y'all were wrong. We won. You thought you've been winning this whole time, but we actually won. Is that, that basically what you're saying, right? 100%. And, and is it uh, verse 22 that's, that's suggesting that yeah. to you? So he went into, because it's, first of all, I'm thinking it's like a, he went down, but then he's going up um, after. So he went into heaven and is at the right hand of the father with the angels and authorities and the parries and the power subjected to him. I think it's just the kind of con the contrast of what the cross actually did. And it was a cosmic thing with the, with the, with the unseen realm kind of thing. I don't know that makes sense. I think so. I mean, everybody kind of tracking with Ruth. Um, and I think just another thing to add on to what you're saying there, Ruth, uh, verse 22 is not, uh, oh, look at all the people Jesus saved. Verse 22 is, oh, look at all the people Jesus beat. Look at all the people that Jesus has claimed authority and power over, right? Um, which is both of those, Jesus does save in the gospel, but Jesus also wins victory in the gospel over uh, force of evil. Latoya, what you got? Let's make sure it's up there. I need That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was thinking about the the in between time, like the crucifixion, right? But then before he comes back, yep, right. So yep. he goes and gets the keys, like right, right. And he speaks to those spiritual beings in the sense of now you're defeated. Like this is it because I'm about to come back up. Yep. Before the resurrection, like that's the way I see it. And I, sorry. Am I low? I think you're good. Maybe keep <laughs> talk as loud as you can, okay. but I think I think because I think about that, and it says in verse 18, because Christ also suffered for his sins, for sins once. You think about his whole life up to the point of crucifixion, which it also talks about being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. So it's like that part of him being alive in the spirit in that spiritual realm is able to and speak to those spirits who have been creating evil since before the days of Noah yep. and even still wreaking havoc now, but it's like he, they're defeated. Exactly. So even now when you think about sin, we're more than conquerors in Christ. Yep. Because that I was about to say defeat. <laughs> defeat is great. Let's, let's be able for it. That defeat. You just got a thumbs up for defeat. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so then it speaks to like Romans and speaking about how in the spirit, therefore, we're able to conquer all these things. Yep. Because in that spiritual defeat. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so I really think that's it. I think, I think uh, Ruth and Latoya kind of have, have synthesized what this text is, uh, is teaching. Uh, by the way, the re probably the reason why he highlights the days of Noah is in the days of Noah is the first time we see in Scripture spiritual beings sort of invade the creation and really corrupt things. So in Genesis chapter 6, you've got this little snippet of the sons of God, um, you know, uh, uh, coupled with the daughters of men. And then right after that, bang, everything went really bad. So the idea would be that there are these, quote unquote, sons of God, which it was an Old Testament way of talking about spiritual beings, angels, that sort of thing. And that they didn't stay in their proper dwelling. By the way, if you want to check this out further, check out Second Peter chapter two. There's more information about angels who didn't maintain their proper place, in other words. They violated God's will, come into the world and really create a lot of corruption and evil and sin. And I'll tell you what, ever since the days of Noah, it sure looks like they've been winning, you know, like all the, the forces of evil. It looks like it's been it's been going pretty well for them. 
And you would think God's ways really haven't been working out too good. Read the history of Israel. Read the history of every nation throughout time and look at what all these evil spiritual forces have done. Oh, if you want to check out more about spiritual beings who, uh, who are doing things in the world, you can check out Daniel chapter 10. There's a reference to the so-called Prince of Persia. Um, Psalm 82 speaks about these sons of God. And God says, I'm going to judge you for what you've done that is evil. Uh, and Jesus actually quoted that uh, in John 10. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff about this. Here's the point, though. All the evil that it looks like the forces against God uh, have, have created and have furthered in the world, Jesus' death and his subsequent resurrection proved didn't work out so good for y'all. I know it looked like it for about three quarters of the game and most of the fourth quarter, but we came through at the end, and it's all over for you now. And that's, that's the story of the gospel. And what that means is that all of us who believe in Christ, who've come to Jesus, or I should say all those who have had faith in God, and I think this ties back, by the way, to the point Adam made, all people who've had faith in God, Christ's victory is their victory. You can read about this in the book of Hebrews. Even people who didn't know about Jesus, those people before Christ ever came, they, um, because they were seeking after God and had faith in God, his sacrifice paid for their sins too. The forces of evil did not have hold over anybody because Jesus paid the debt. He suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, and he went down where the spirits were, and he did. I mean, like, honestly, this is a trash talk passage. This is he went in and he told them it didn't work. The proclamation, in other words, I don't think was, hey, let me save you guys. I'm going to give you one more chance. It was, no, you were wrong, and the Father was right. And I went and I suffered in this world. And I've overcome death to prove that he was right all along. So that, that's a, a, at least a couple of us that's, that's apparently kind of the take. But some of them may want to offer a little bit different understanding or something else here. I'll just tell you, I think that's a, a really powerful, if, if it's true, uh, and I think it is, but if that's a true way to think about this text, it's powerful and it's encouraging. And it means a lot for why we should keep on doing righteousness. Don't get messed up by all the unrighteousness. I know it looked bad in the days of Noah and the sons of God were running the show and all these Angels that rebelled against God looked like they were winning, but they didn't. You just hang on. Just like all the world hung on until Jesus came and won this victory. If we hang on, we'll win the victory. In the end. Let me shut up. Uh, thoughts, comments on the, uh, the spirits in prison, Jesus preaching to the spirits, all that kind of stuff. Thoughts, comments, observations you guys want to make on that. I was just going to say, here's another verse about that in Jude 1.6. It says, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains or judgment on the great day. So that's another thing showing that the angels were in prison. Um, Very good. That's a great one. Yeah, yeah. Jude, Jude chapter 1, verse 6. Is that, is that okay? Is that, make, is that pretty clear? Any questions? Any, any maybe, uh, you know, rebuttal? Any follow-up that anybody wants to share about all that stuff? Tony? Yeah, I'm leaning towards that, but, you know, I haven't really given it much thought until this class right now. Um, the only thing that's giving me a little bit of pause is the, he brings up baptism, and, you know, he, he, he brings us uh, cross-references, the flood and Noah, and it's like thinking about what baptism does for us in the present, how it's where we are, are, are separated from our sins. Essentially, we're washed from our sins through the blood of Christ in baptism as a burial. It's almost as though he's alluding to those people were like put to death through the flood, kind of like they were atoned for almost. 
And I, I'm not saying that I believe that or I think that, but I, you know, that's just one thing that's given me cause because I do lean towards the, the angels in prison. Um, yeah. I think you bring up something great. And you know, it's kind of similar to what I I want to say some stuff about the baptism here in just a second, Tony. So come back in and, and say what you think after we get in talking about baptism. We're coming mm -hmm. to that in just a second. It was a great, perfect setup, honestly, because it is really, what is he saying about baptism uh, in this context? And I'll at least uh, show you what, what I think is going on here, but Ruth and then Brian. But great, great observation, Tony. Good question. I think important question. Ruth and then Brian. Go ahead, Ruth. I, I agree with his observation and seeing that, but then when we, like, let's say for like Romans, when we think about Christ's atonement, it is God's wrath being placed on Christ. So this idea of baptism is to kill the flesh. So there's this, I think there's a lot of dual imagery going on, but it actually is consistent if you think about it. Like if, if you see other areas, like the baptism is putting us to death and yeah, God's wrath was placed on Christ on our behalf. That is something that is a good, beautiful thing, but it's also God's justice that, that he did on those who disobeyed during the time of Noah. For sure. Good point. Good point. Uh, Brian. Yeah. Um, and I haven't gone totally towards the imprisoned only, uh, I guess, uh, we call it a camp. But Tony's question made me look at it again. And I can't help but see that also he says, um, he uh, being put to, okay, made alive in the spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey, mm -hmm. which might indicate that, you know, if you're using the word formally, it's saying, well, formally they did not obey, but afterwards they did. So it's just making me think about that a little bit. And he is talking about baptism, which is a fully redemptive thing. So I didn't really want to go here, but it's like, could yeah. he be talking about they formerly were people who did not understand, so they are given the chance, you know, to redeem themselves. So be interesting, I think actually some trends just say just before. So all that yeah, means is right. it happened. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't yeah. necessarily, it could be, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean formally they did and now they're obedient. That right. doesn't mean we can't rule that out entirely. Right. I don't know that we should hang our hats too much on like no what he's formally. hinting at with that. Right. Um, but this goes to Ruth's point is like, what is baptism? Actually, here's what I think. I think this passage is incredibly helpful for helping us think about what baptism is and what's going on at baptism. I'm going to um, do something here. Hey, Caleb, can you uh, make it to where I can share my screen to use a, a, a PowerPoint slide that I think might help a little bit with just kind of illustrating this? Um, it, you know, Donald pointed out earlier, it's good to, to remind ourselves that uh, that the there's one thing we know that baptism is not about. It's not about the filth of your flesh. It's not like your body needs some kind of whatever kind of thing. That's not what it's about at all. It's, uh, it's something different. It's something spiritual. It's something really meaningful in that way. Uh, thanks, Caleb. Appreciate it. And uh, let, let me just, I'm going to try to break it down this way. Here's what I think uh, Peter is doing a little bit, is he is showing us how we live a parallel life to Noah's family, right? So as Christians, we're outsiders, we're exiles, we're trying to be righteous, we're trying to do good in a world of evil. Well, that's exactly what Christians go through, right? And think about some of the parallels with Noah's family and Christians and how it ties into the flood and, uh, and our own salvation. All right, so first off, we've got with Noah's family, uh, they live in a wicked oppositional world. Go check out Genesis chapter 6, just for sake of time, we're not going to do that tonight, but Genesis chapter 6, all the world is evil, everybody's opposed, Noah 
we will say his family also, but really the text only says Noah was righteous, but you got to assume his kids went with him, his wife, and they were quite righteous or righteous-ish at least. Okay, well, Christians, like we live in a wicked oppositional world. Read First Peter. So much of it has been about that, right? Okay, so there's a parallel between us. Here's a neat thing. Noah's family, it says in Genesis 6 and verse 8, first time in the Bible it says this, that somebody found grace with God. Noah's the first person the text says found grace with God in Genesis 6, 8. Well, of course, remember, that's what First Peter's all about. He says, I'm, I've written to you that you would, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Okay? All right, so there, there's another parallel. All right, so this text, notice that the, uh, uh, what it says here in verse, uh, somebody help me out, verse 20 or 21, da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, verse 20. It says they were, they were saved or brought safely through water. Okay, now if I asked you and anybody, uh, I can't see anybody on the call, but y'all just speak up if you want or anybody in the room here is fine. If I were to ask you, how was Noah and his family saved? What was the, I mean, other than God, and, but I mean, like, what, what was the thing that God used to save them? What would be your answer? What saved them? The ark. The ark. What does Peter say saved them? The water. The water. The water. Okay, how did the water save them? Because actually, I would say, no, 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 no. The water was what was dangerous, and the ark was what saved them from the dangerous thing. But how did, in, in what way was the water a source of salvation? What did the water save Noah and his family from? Or maybe we can say this another way. What was God, what was God, what was the water all about? What was God doing with the water? Wiping out the corrupt. Wiping out the corruption, clearing out all the evil and the wickedness. And in that way, what they were really saved from was not perishing in the water. It was perishing in a wicked oppositional world. Okay. All right. Now, let me ask you this. What does it say? Uh, that we are saved through. You notice in verse 20, I want to be really, I'm going to be super like uh, uh, language nerd here for a second. Notice it says in verse 20, they were brought safely through water. Now look carefully at verse 21. What is the thing that we are saved through? The resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ, exactly. The resurrection of Christ. Now, it is true that Noah and his family, they were saved by the ark. By the way, some of us probably, our initial answer, if I had made a big deal out of it, if we had said, what are we saved through? We'd say baptism. That's what verse 21 says. Baptism now saves you. All right, well, here's the deal. Noah's family was saved through the water, but they were saved by the ark. If they had not had a faith in God and built the ark, they would have been washed away in the water too. They would have been washed away, maybe we could say, by the, the, the power of God to overthrow evil, which is what the flood was. The flood was God's power to overthrow evil. But they trusted in God and they built the ark, and therefore they were saved through that power of God to overthrow evil. In a similar way, we are saved through the resurrection. That's God's action, his power to overthrow evil. That's what Jesus' resurrection was all about. But baptism, we are saved, in a sense, by baptism. Not that it's some special human action that we take that makes God say, oh, wow, look how special they are. They were baptized. But it's just like the ark. God said, I want you to be baptized into Christ, that you access this power that I'm using to overthrow evil in the world, the resurrection, and it's your way to tap into it. Hey, Noah, I'm going to overthrow evil in the world through my action of sending this flood. Now build a boat, and I'm going to save you through it. So actually, the parallel here is the resurrection of Christ is parallel to the flood, baptism is parallel to the ark. I think initially we think, oh, the parallel is clear. Water, water. Baptism, water, flood, water. I don't think so. I think the text actually shows that the parallel is the water is parallel to the resurrection. The ark is parallel to baptism. 
And of course, Noah and his family were proven victorious over wickedness. They were proven to be righteous. I mean, they rebirthed the human race, Genesis chapter 9. What does that mean for us as Christians? And I think this is really Peter's whole point in this whole section, is that we have the promise of victory over wickedness. Just like Noah and his family were saved through the water by the ark, God elevated them and rescued them from all that. When we're sitting around, I'm thinking, man, like, I don't know if this following Jesus thing is going to work. Everybody keeps beating me up for this. Nobody seems to be on God's side. I kind of feel like the only one I'm suffering out here. Well, look at what happened with Noah. Look at what happened with Jesus. And you hang on. Don't let go of the hope that's within you and know that God will bring about that victory for you, just like he did for Noah uh, and for Jesus. All right, let me, let me stop. And, uh, and, and maybe there's some responses. Maybe something like, uh, I don't think that's very convincing or I don't think that's correct or we're kind of missing something here in the text. Um, maybe follow-up questions, any uh, observations or anything like that. Any comments, thoughts, whatever, as far as the parallel and what the message that Peter's uh, trying to lay out with Noah and the flood and then with uh, Jesus and with us. Uh, thoughts, comments, whatever. Go ahead, Mike and Candace. So, um, Ben, I think the parallel for me, at least for me, the parallel with uh, Noah's Ark and baptism is pretty clear. But I guess there was a thought that has been developing um, in me about what we did right before, right? With this, with the people in prison, right? Because if, if with, with the ark, we're seeing there is a parallel with baptism, then I kind of see maybe a parallel with, with, with baptism and Christianity and salvation with the people in prison. And I guess what I wrote down here is just like Noah's ark, um, is kind of, is the parallel to baptism could the people who god preached to would could just be referring to people who are outside of christ and and christ by his death he preached to them um and i don't know if, if what i'm saying is adding up but i guess what i'm thinking is um uh, proclaim to the spirits in prison right so he so by his death he kind of proclaimed salvation to people who were outside of christ and they were formerly ones who didn't obey, but maybe by his death they obey. I don't, I don't know if I've fully formed the thought yet, but I guess what I'm That's saying right. is if we're, if we're going down, if we're going down in the passage, right, and we're interpreting it and we're seeing that Noah's act parallels to baptism, could it be that the spirits in prison has a parallel too um, to the modern day? And it's not, it's not potentially referring to um, fallen angels. That's, that's, I guess that's kind of my question. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but. I think so. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, and this is, this is my initial response, and I, I wouldn't uh, fight over somebody else has another take, but just my response to your question, which I think is a good one. Uh, I think he's telling the story of Noah as he's telling the story of the spirits because of Genesis chapter six and passages like Jude one and second um, Peter two. So I think, I think that would still be part of the story where he's drawing the parallel, if that makes sense. I don't think he's trying to point us to a parallel. I don't think. Um, but like I said, I wouldn't fight over it in a, in a big way if someone has a, had another take or, or whatever. So that's a good question. Something for us to think about. Tony. Yeah, I was going to say that there's a lot to think about in that little bit of scripture right there. And there's, there's a lot of parallels that, you know, I'd have to sit down and write these things down and think about this for a couple of days. But uh, yeah. Yeah, you have to look at the story back before Noah, there was the issue with the sons of God. Um, you have to look at a lot of things, but, you know, for now, like I said, I'm leaning towards, you know, the, 
the original sentence, um, statement that we, we come to here, our agreement we come to, that it was the fallen angels. Um, I guess it's just in my mind, at first I keep wrestling back and forth between uh, what is the baptism. It's almost like th there wasn't really a covenant back then. There, They didn't have the law. They didn't, you know, they didn't have that covenant. They didn't have um, the new covenant, you know, of Jesus Christ and, and, um, and, and our salvation through faith. And it's almost as if they got punished already by being put to death in the body for their sins, you know, for, for, for their, their corruption. But at the same time, I see the same parallel that you're making. So I, I think for me, I still have to, you know, I agree with it, but I got to sit down on it for a while and, um, that's fine. Really <laughs> yeah, no, I understand that. I understand that. And, and here's and here, part of why I wanted to kind of work through those parallels. Here's the big thing. This passage is not about fallen angels or not fallen angels. Yeah. This passage is about God saving people and how that gives us security now, whether that was saving Jesus from death, saving Noah and his family from the evil and wickedness of their day. So I think this, this whole discussion is interesting. It's hard for us because a lot of us, at least, uh, my guess is for some, is like, what? I've never even heard any of this stuff before. I don't even know what we're talking about right now, and this is weird. Uh, some people's like, yeah, I know this all, and that's great, whatever. Um, but I, I don't want to, I think this is a really good discussion. I think it's an important thing for us to kind of try to, to work through. But I don't want us to lose sight of what this is really all about. This is a passage about salvation and security and the devotion to Christ that that should lead us to, such that we don't give up whenever we suffer, such that we don't become hopeless whenever all the world is against us. This passage is about holding true to God, no matter what the world is doing. And he points back to the days of Noah. So go back and read Genesis 6 through 9. Check it out and see what you can do with the parallels. And, uh, but really all it is is those people that were in the ark, they were safe because they were in the ark. Even though, I'll tell you what, you ever thought about what it was like getting in the ark? You get in the ark and the rain starts falling and you start hearing the screams and you know what's going on with all of your neighbors and all of your friends. Man, the world was literally, I was going to say on fire, but the world was being drowned out, you know? Um, for us, it can be scary out there because we know how evil things are around us. We know that this world in many ways is passing away. That's what the scripture says. And so rather than being intimidated by that or worried about that, he says, Hey, you're in the ark. You're in the ark. And God has exercised his power through Jesus Christ in the resurrection. If you have been baptized into Christ, then you're good. The power of God will rescue you. Stay in the ark. Don't, don't go back into that world that's being flooded out by God's, uh, by God's judgment in, uh, in the resurrection of Christ. Just as a side note, we haven't spent, this isn't a study primarily about baptism. I'll just say this is one of a number of passages in the New Testament that address baptism. And sometimes people ask, like, I don't know, is baptism all that important? I'm like, I mean, just read the passages, you know. Like, this, this show, it shows us. And I know well, a lot of us have had those conversations. Um, and there's a lot of questions about the technicalities of all that. But at least we know baptism is hugely important. Because here, this is one of those passages that shows this is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. And it's a big deal for us, for our own security, for our own kind of uh, memory of the relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ. Um, just as important as that ark was for Noah and his family, baptism is important for us. Uh, Brittany or Adam, go ahead. I, to me, maybe the most reassuring parallel is, at least between Noah, is that when Noah and his family left the ark, they were not perfect. I mean, the very first thing Noah did was go and get slobbering drunk and then cause a variety of family problems that, you know, persist to this day. And, and I think that if you look at that as saying God is faithful 
even despite our iniquity, even after he says, look, I will make this covenant with you knowing that you're going to screw up. I think that that is to me very reassuring. Great point. And I might add one more thing to that. When Noah and his family got out of the boat, they got out in a new heavens and new earth where only righteousness was. All the wickedness was cleaned out. Peter uses the Noah story in 2 Peter chapter 3 to make the same point. That, hey, if you're in Christ, then the assurance we have is that we will emerge in a new heavens and new earth where only righteousness dwells. All right, that's really all I want to say about this. I want us to look a little bit at chapter four. We're not going to be able to uh, spend as much time on that, um, but this has been good and important discussion. I don't want to run past anybody, though, if anybody wants to say anything else before we uh, read a little bit in chapter four. We're going to go about maybe 10 more minutes in chapter four. Eric, go ahead. I wanted to mention something real briefly. Um, I think, I don't know if it'll shed any light on, on what we were talking about in terms of whether or not they were ta- uh, it was being refer- there was a reference being made to fallen angels. I, I, I saw something once, a documentary about this, and I was actually reading about this just now um, in the middle of the discussion. It just said, um, fallen angels are not given the opportunity to repent, whereas we are. I don't know if that sheds any light on what they were talking in terms of what the the scripture was talking about in terms of uh, spirits in prison um, and fallen and fallen angels being those spirits that they're referencing. Um, It's uh, I was thought I'd mention that because it says here that uh, this I'm reading an article right here. It says that fallen angels cannot repent. They've been given over to this sinful rebellion. Repentance is something granted by God to people and is part of the act of salvation that is the work of God. So I don't know if that makes sense. There, no, that, that, thanks for bringing that up. There's a whole lot to, to explore, and uh, I'll say there's a whole lot of ambiguity about exactly how God operates with his, uh, his, his beings up there. Uh, but again, I would refer back to the passage Domo mentioned, Jude 1, 2 Peter chapter 2. I think this text and uh, Psalm 82 are all valuable in, uh, if you want to explore that further. Um, so yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Eric. All right, cool. Any other comments on uh, the end of chapter 3 here? Once again, the real message, whatever all the particulars are on some of these things, what's he talking about this? The real message is know the the salvation and the security you have in that. Look at the power of Christ, even through his suffering, how he was elevated by the end of it. And you stay anchored in that. Don't allow yourself to be pulled back into the world that's being flooded with, uh, with God's judgment. You stay anchored in Christ. And that brings us to, I just want to do a couple of verses in chapter four. Sorry, Caleb, I'm going to dump you with a couple of extra verses for next week. But uh, chapter four, verse one says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God, or if we could borrow the language from what he said about Jesus, no longer to live in the flesh, but live by the spirit. That's the point. We're not living in our human passions of the flesh. We're trying to live by God's will, by his mind, by his spirit. For the time that passes is, uh, it, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the nations, what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. So he's tying in this language here. He's saying, look, just like Noah didn't get caught up in his world, you don't get caught up in your world either with all that evil and sin. They're surprised and they malign you. They speak evil of you, just like people would have with righteous Noah. 
but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached to those, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I'm not going to say much about this. We don't have a, a lot of time, and I don't want our brain power to um, end up with diminishing returns on the Bible study. But here, here's the punchline for Peter. Stop sinning. If you got in the ark, stay in the ark. If you've been baptized into Christ, live in Christ. God's power was exercised through Christ to overthrow evil. Don't go back rebuilding what God has destroyed in your life. You did plenty of that before. And so all, I know all the people around you are doing the bad stuff. They were doing that in Noah's day too. But Noah chose righteousness. Joe, Noah chose to suffer for doing good, just like Jesus suffered for doing good. And we're going to suffer if we do good. People are going to malign you. What's wrong with you, man? Why don't you want to go hit the town with us, hit the club with us? What's going on with you, man? Why don't you want to, why, why can't, look, why can't we just have sex? I know it's, you know, you're not married and all that, but why is it such a big deal or all these kinds of things? Because we're in Christ. We got in the boat. That's what it is. And we really believe in the power of God and the resurrection of Christ. And that's moving us to live a different kind of life. I'm going to open it up for the last few minutes here. That's kind of like, a, I don't know, we'll probably leave some. Caleb may want to pick up some for, uh, for next week if, uh, if we don't get through all this stuff. But uh, let me just open it up. What, what speaks to you in verses 1 through 6 with this, this punchline Peter says, of, hey, take up the same suffering Christ had. If you're going to suffer, what that means is stop sinning. Cease from sin. Crucify your flesh with Christ. Uh, thoughts, comments, observations in verses one through six that you guys want to point out here. Uh, encouragement, uh, op- uh, motivation, whatever. Mike and Candace. Yeah, Ben, when you read verse three about um, doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, so on and so forth. Um, my mind went to what happened with Lot and his family in Sodom and Gomorrah. For the past few minutes, we've been talking about Noah and the ark. Noah was in a situation where there was corruption all around him. He was in the ark and the water purged the world of the corruption. With Sodom and Gomorrah, it was a bit different. Lot and his family was living somewhere where they knew they shouldn't have been and there was corruption going on all around them. But in that instance, God used fire to purge the corruption. Yet he still... um, had a vehicle for them to escape. It was, you know, prescribed instructions, you must leave and not look back. So, I mean, I don't know if this is like a fully formed idea, but when we're somewhere where we know that we shouldn't be, God still has a way out for us, but there are still consequences if we deviate from his instruction. And we know what happened with Lot's wife. She looked back and, you know, the rest. So, um, yeah, just the bottom line to your point earlier was don't, look back to the corruption, the sin, the degradation that you came from. Just move forward in newness of life. Amen. Mike, you're right on track with Peter, by the way, because in Second Peter's chapters 2 and 3, he talks about Lot in a similar way that you just did, and he speaks about the destruction of, uh, of this world eventually that will be by fire. So I think you're right in line. I, I, it's hard to imagine that Peter wasn't thinking about that a little bit even here. Uh, though he doesn't express it uh, fully because he does express it in his second letter, second Peter two in uh, chapters two and three. You see that Eric, go ahead. I wanted to mention something. I find it really, really fascinating how Mike brought up the fact that uh, when the world was purged of sinners and the big, uh, and, and when Noah uh, was alive, it was purged through water. And then in Sodom and Gomorrah, it was purged through fire. 
And not that there was a similar purging on the death of the cross when literally the earth was split in two. But I just find it it's very, very fascinating how God has used the elements in order to exact his judgment against those who have sinned against him. For sure. Great point. Other observations here at the beginning of First Peter 4 about uh, giving up sin and suffering with Christ. I was just going to say in verse 2, where it says, and that he's been the rest of his time on earth concerned about the will of God and not human desires. I think it's really important for us to take on that full attitude of Christ. Because sometimes it's like, we know that there's suffering, but at the same time, there's something for us to do. And sometimes we just extract us living in sin and even idleness. Great point. That actually can get very dangerous. Versus replacing that and even like growing in the knowledge of Christ mm-hmm. and focusing on God and focusing on bringing others when there's opportunities to and doing good. And I think Second Peter, he starts to talk about that, like the things to add sure. to your faith. So It's a great point. We don't need to say, well, I'm not sinning, but not do the will of God. When Noah and his family got off the boat, God said, all right, now be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? And if we're in Christ, we need to be people who are fruitful and multiplying the will of God. Tony, go ahead. Yeah, just like in, in verse one, where it talked the language that it uses to, to arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Um, you know, that this idea that suffering, you know, just as, as Christ brought victory to the world through his suffering, there, there is victory and suffering for us as well. And it, it's something that we need to uh, view as a tool um, and and our victory too will come through through our suffering just as Christ suffered you know it, obviously it comes from Christ's suffer, Christ's suffering but uh you know it, you know he he, he kind of like arm yourself like it's a weapon you know to to suffer in this flesh you know that's right yeah our weapon is the cross itself yeah mm-hmm. And actually, Tony, you bring up something important that I think is just a good kind of retrospective at this point in uh, in First Peter, and we'll kind of land the plane here with just a, a couple of things here to kind of wrap this up. Really, what Peter's telling us to do is what he's already been telling us to do, and that is to live out the gospel story in the world, in our world, right? So think about earlier in the book, whenever uh, he uh, spoke to us about being subject to worldly powers. That was starting in chapter two, right? Be subject to, you know, government, workplace, family, all that kind of stuff. Well, why should we do it? And then, of course, uh, the, really last week and tonight, we looked at the idea of suffering for righteousness or for doing good. Not only going to subject myself to worldly powers, but I need to suffer when I do good. And then I need to live for God's will. I need to actually do some stuff, not for uh, fleshly lusts. Well, Peter, why do we do this? This is super hard. And why? what's the point? What are we trying to accomplish here? Well, for this you were called since Christ suffered for you. That's why you subject yourself to these worldly powers, just like Christ subjected himself. Well, this isn't fair to suffer for righteousness for doing good. Well, I know. But Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And this whole bit about, man, I resist all temptation and doing all that kind of stuff. Well, Arm yourself. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. What he's saying is we need to live in such a way that people say, what is going on with you people? Why are you this way? And we say, well, I'd be really happy to tell you because you can enjoy what I'm enjoying too. You can have the hope that I have too. You can stand firm in the true grace of God that's found in the good news of Jesus Christ. And that brings us back to what Peter's been going through all throughout. Hey, yeah, you're exiles. 
but you're not just sitting around twiddling your thumbs waiting for Jesus to come take you home. You have a purpose here. First uh, Peter 2 and verse 5, you also as living stones, a spiritual house, holy priesthood, you're here to offer up spiritual sacrifices. You're supposed to be doing something, living for the will of God to offer up these sacrifices. Chapter 2, verse 11, 12, beloved, I urge you, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that they, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. You're in a war, like your passions and your flesh are warring against you. You got to fight for God so that God will be lifted up in the world. Chapter three and verse nine, we were called to this purpose to give a blessing. That's the purpose so that we would inherit the blessing of being a blessing to those who are in trouble in the world. Chapter three and verse 16, keep a good conscience so that the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. We're trying to make people say, oh, like my sinful life is bad. I need something different. I need God. I need Jesus. I need to be saved. And then chapter four and verse six, the punchline of all of our righteousness is not to be the stuck up person who won't go out and get drunk with everybody or isn't sleeping around and all that. We got to maintain that kind of morality, but it's not so we look so good. It's so that people will say, man, maybe I need to be saved. Maybe I need to live for the will of God too. We have a purpose in this world, and that's what we're trying to do is accomplish that purpose in Christ by living out the gospel story in every respect of our lives and being uh, loyal to God, even while we're out here in the world. So uh, I love this section of 1 Peter for that reason and the reminders it gives us and the motivation it gives us for that. All right. Any last words, thoughts, comments before we wrap it up for tonight? Go ahead, Brian. I would just uh, like you're asking that encouragement. A few people have been like, Given, given encouragement. And I would also give just, you know, general encouragement to, because um, I've meditated on the ideas of, uh, like I've mentioned before, um, us having all the power that Christ had to overcome our own flesh. Uh, clearly, God says that we have that. Um, and I think in Ephesians, it states it really well, that we're even, that we're also taken out and we're actually put on the right, at the right hand of God with yeah. Christ. So we already are put with Christ. We have to remember that when we're, uh, talking about suffering and overcoming our flesh. And so my encouragement is it can be done. We have this and sometimes, like I hadn't realized that we were already put in that position until I read it just this past week. You know, when you think that, because you know, I would always think, oh, you know, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, like, like a big thing, but no, we're there with him. We're there and it is a big him. thing. Yeah, no, yeah. but I'm looking, I yeah, see it as we were small and he's up there. But no, we are with, we're up there with him. Mm -hmm. So we are put at the right hand and we are part of Jesus already. Amen. We are part of his body. So you have everything. If you're, if you have Jesus, if, if you're part of the body of Jesus, like literally his, his body, you know that you have the power to overcome whatever fleshly temptation is there. And so um, I'm just stating it because it was like a revelation to me and it made me look back and realize and know in the future what, how I've been able to overcome fleshly sins, like smoking for 20 years, which I was like, how could I ever do that? And now I realize how, I, and at the time I realized that now I'm realizing even more, you know, we have the power in our, to overcome our own flesh. So just, if you're struggling with something, just do it. You can't, you, you absolutely can do it. And also when you don't do it right away, don't feel like, oh, I must not be saved or have Christ's body because I wasn't able to do it. Like, no, you're gonna, the whole point is to keep going towards it. Just arm yourselves with this purpose, right? Yeah. 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 Like everyone can't go, be going around doing perfect things. Otherwise, there, you know, there wouldn't be any point. If we we're all perfect going around just like we'd be walking in circles all happy. But yeah. no, we're not. Everyone's, everyone's tripping over something. So you're tripping over trying to come, overcome flesh. Just keep doing it. And you will do it because Christ is in you. Christ can do it. You know Christ can do it. So it's a matter of faith. Um, it's not a matter of your will.
and even going back to your sermon this morning about truth, like it's what you're arming yourself with in your thinking. Like you're arming yourself with that truth, not your own perfection, yes. but with that truth right. that through God's power you can overcome. Amen. And so, I don't know. right. Yeah. Really good. Other thoughts, comments, observations before we uh, wrap it up. Tony, go ahead. Yeah, I was just um, thinking, you know, there's there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible talk about how suffering um, kind of hones our character and builds us up through our suffering. Uh, but I like to say in, in here that it kind of alludes because it talks about the other people seeing that we're not like them um, and they will revile us. So we, it, it kind of alludes to our suffering being coming from our just living the, the godly lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I like to make that parallel again, because it's using Jesus as, as Jesus suffering led to victory for us. So our suffering will lead to victory for others as we live by example and, and, and not only living by example, but fighting that good fight and sharing the faith, you know, it's going to cause some suffering on our hand, but it is also going to bring some others into the fold. Amen. Yeah. This was good stuff, you guys. Thanks so much. Really encouraging. Uh, there may be follow-up questions that some may have about either some of the, you know, technical kind of doctoral things we're working through. You may just have some ideas. You may have some suggestions. Actually, I think I figured it out. Here's, here's the right answer. I'd be really happy to hear about those. I know there are others would as well. So please reach out with that. Uh, but also, this is an interesting uh, Bible study because on the one hand, a lot of what we talked about was kind of like uh, technical, right. ideological, theological kind of stuff. But really, much more importantly, this is about the practical. Like, are we taking up our cross and following Jesus? So as much as some of you may want to talk about spirits in prison and whatnot, that's great. But more importantly, it's, it's very likely that some or many of us need to talk about um, how to put to death the passions of our flesh and to live for the will of God. Uh, please be even more eager. Uh, to talk about that. And we want to keep encouraging each other in that. And if anybody has a particular thing they're trying to figure out or work on or deal with, uh, don't, don't keep that to yourself. And let's, let's try to help each other to live, live for the will of God here. Cause that's, that's really the point. I hope that's come clear uh, as much. As we've talked about all those other things. Those are important and interesting and all that really what this is about is about us living for the Lord and being what he wants us to be. And, uh, and God bless us in that. All right, uh, we'll stop there. Let's uh, let's bow our heads and pray for just a minute before we before we end it. Father in heaven, thank you for the power that you've exercised through the resurrection of your Son Jesus. Your power has overwhelmed all the powers of evil that have tried to hold us down and tried to hold him down, and they got nothing. God, you've you've robbed them, you've defeated them, you've crushed them. And in that, we have hope. We don't hope in ourselves. Whenever we look at ourselves for too long or too much, we, we, we would despair pretty quick. But you've given us real hope. You've given us a lasting hope. You've given us a secure hope that we know we'll see your face. We know that we'll, we'll be with you forever because of what you've done through your son, Jesus. We love you for that. We thank you for that. And we pray that you give us a greater sense of security and not be tempted to go back into the world, to go back to passions of our flesh and instead teach us to do your will. Make us to do your will. Make us be obedient and make us love you more than we do even now so that we'll live righteously, not just for ourselves, 
but for all those around us that they may see your power working in us and that we may have an opportunity to express to them the reason for our hope so that perhaps they could share in it one day too. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to talk tonight. We pray that you'd bless us all to live righteously and godly in this present age and that you'd bring us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.